When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Someone knew that I was going to notice this and thought that that was worth the effort. Truly, all I want to do is prove to people that with a little bit extra effort, giving someone that feeling of being recognized is more important than anything else. Because I know how powerful it is. Like it set me on my trajectory to see Kamala Khan. And I could sit here and rant about it on Twitter. But also, I'm an artist too. Like if I want something done right, I can just do it myself. And so I just did a 40 minute sketch. And when I woke up the next morning, I was getting emails and phone calls from people who wanted to talk about it. But no one had ever seen an actual Muslim's take on this. My name is Sarah Alfaji and I am a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. talking to Sarah Alfagia, a Jordanian-American illustrator and creative director. She is a major history nerd who just really wants to draw girls with swords. She's the published co-creator of the recently released graphic novel Squire, which is really amazing. You've got to check it out. And she's currently the co-founder of One More Multiverse, and her work has been featured by Harvard, Lucasfilm, BBC, AJ+, and NYU. I met Sarah because I was reaching out to Muslim comic book creators, and we just really hit it off. Uh, Sharon, what do you think uh, at another Nerd Out episode of Modern Minorities? I'm starting to feel like we're becoming a graphic novel minorities podcast <laughs> in a yes! good way. Yeah, exactly. Secret mission you got your You got your wish. Sarah is incredible, but what I find to be even more amazing than the fact that she's super talented, I looked up her four illustrations that she had done for Dust as she was talking, and that's totally amazing. I want to definitely include that in the show notes. She's 25 years old, which makes me stop because I feel like we talk to so many people on the show, and many of them are our age or sometimes older, and they're all very accomplished. And it's one of those things that I kind of take for granted. Like, yeah, if you're in your 30s and 40s, you've got your life figured out. She literally is just starting out. And she's got so much depth and so much insight and just such such great energy that I'm not only excited that now Squire is out, but I'm even more excited for what she's about to do, right, in like the next 20 years of her life. So it was really good to have her on the show today. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, like energy. It's like, it feels like she's always had this energy through her work, her approach to art, and her own culture. It's just, and she just kind of accelerates with life. There's like this one moment where we ask about kind of this, you know, question about trying to fit in, not fitting in, and she just kind of like blew straight through it. I was like, wow, I like, I feel energized hearing answers to 
the world that way. So we think you're really going to enjoy our conversation with our new friend, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the pod. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. I'm really excited. Sarah, more people are starting to see your name and your work pop up in lots of places. But I guess the question we really want to know is, I don't know, where are you from? I am from uh, a little space in between, if I want to romanticize it. No, I'm from Boston. Boston, <laughs> born and raised, baby. And I am the first kid, actually, in my family to be born in the United States. Both of my parents are Jordanian. My older brother, as well, born in Jordan before he came over here at the ripe old age of three. And yeah, so I'm very much like East Coast, I'm currently based in West Coast now. And I would say it's like a lot of my experiences involve having one foot here in Boston and one foot in, in Jordan. So my parents were very, very adamant that we identify as Jordanian, that we understood that we were Arab American. They were like vehemently not uh, assimilationist in that way. And <laughs> it's very interesting to be like five years old and like have your dad sit down with you and be like, well, you're Arab American, right? And I'm like, I would love to watch Power Rangers. So it was always like- Wait, 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 hang on. Hang on. Yeah. But the real question is which Power Ranger were you a fan of? <laughs> Red Power Ranger? I know it Come feels, on. it's a really? very classic tomboy choice, but it is what it is. I really wish yellow and pink Power Ranger were better, but you know- Oh my, they're such terrible stereotypes. You can't. You can't do it. What were the uh, what were the traits of the red one? Just fucking cool, man. He was, so he was cool. the alpha. He was the alpha. He was <laughs> yeah, the alpha. He was the, the leader. leader. He's he the, the leader. like the protagonist. You and you, he, you gotta he, go for it. He was Brandon from nine hundred two one zero. Like I was uh, a green, green yes. ranger guy because he was like Dylan. Right? Got it. So got it. Yeah. I have this whole point of view on how the Power yeah. Rangers are nine hundred two one zero. I I only remember the pink one because that's like the only one that spoke to me. <laughs> it's the girl one. The girl yeah, one. Yeah. Exactly. And I hated well, that. I hated that it was like, oh, they're the Power Rangers, but that's specifically the girl. The girl one. Exactly. Well, so I never watched. I never watched the original Japanese stuff. It was mm -hmm. based on, but super problematic was <laughs> yeah. the Black Ranger, the Pink Ranger, and the worst, the Yellow, Yellow Ranger. Ranger <laughs> yeah, because it was the Asian American. <laughs> Yeah, and, and honestly, on that note of noticing who got to be the main character, who got to be the main roles of things, I have very vivid memories of carrying this like book collection that my parents bought for us, where it was the illustrated literary classics. It was like Knights of the Round Table. It was like Edgar Allan Poe poems. It was Tale of Two Cities, like all of this classic literature that was like dumbed down for a fifth grader's reader level and had these gorgeous illustrations on every single page. And I would lug my entire suitcase full of books and like maybe six t-shirts to Jordan with me. Like that was my survival pack for the summers. And so every summer we'd go to Jordan because my dad's like, you need to know your family. You need to speak the language. Whereabouts um, in Jordan was your family? So my my dad, where like our house is from, my dad's family is from a tiny little speck of a village called, which is mm -hmm. outside of the major city of Idibit, mm -hmm. if anyone knows the area. And my mother's side of the family is very close to the Syrian border. So it it was like a bit so of so kind of like um so like kind of like um kais and stuff like that or... yeah, yeah yeah so okay. i i very much like have a lot of memories of like lugging around classic English literature <laughs> and being that kid who sits in the corner and reads all day while on summer vacation. And I remember always having like gripes about that where it's like, oh, why couldn't we go to like Disney World or something? And my dad's like, no, 
culture. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But of course, now I'm like extremely grateful that we had that upbringing and that experience. And I do feel quite connected to to both sides of my identity. I often have people ask me like, oh, how do you say your name? Is it Sada or Sarah? And I'm sure there's some people who rolled their eyes when I introduced myself at the top saying my name is Sarah Alphagy. But I, I do very much feel like I am Sarah and Sada at the same time. I, I see no no difference between the two. When you were growing up in Boston as a little girl, can you tell us a story about how that may have played out a little bit? Having one foot in, in one country and another foot theoretically or hypothetically back in the homeland? It's, it's interesting because in Boston, it, it's a very like very, very diverse city. Like I actually Mm -hmm. didn't grow up around other Jordanians. I didn't grow up around even just like Arab Americans. It was a very big mishmash of everything and and anyone. I don't have any relatives in America. All of them are are back in Jordan or in some of them in like Germany and stuff. But so like who I considered like my aunts and my cousins and all of that, like were other immigrant families. So it was very, very normal for me to grow up around people who had that similar experience. I went to a, a school that was predominantly minorities as well. I was very like used to this. The only time I really came in contact with people who were different from that like from that upbringing was actually in college. I'm like, "What do you mean there's no Arabs in Vermont? Like I'm sad for you." <laughs> Well, because in like the Boston kind of Cambridge area, it's super, not only is it a big city and do a lot of South Asians and Middle Eastern folks show up in a city like Boston, but it's Cambridge. Like, yeah, yeah. That's... And it's like, I'm very spoiled in that way. Like the people I consider my aunts and uncles were like Black American and Yemeni and like a lot of mixed like race relationships and things like that. Someone who had a Syrian father and a Russian mother. And like, that was just our normal. Like that wasn't anything special. It feels weird even me listing it off that way. I was like, that, that feels awkward to me to have to categorize that way. So th- that was like a fabric of everyday life. I, I feel like it's difficult to pinpoint where I felt aware of the different parts of me because everyone around me had, had I guess, like hyphenated identities. Yeah. What did you want to be growing up? Oh, this is good. I wanted to do that. Like every kid I feel like has a phase where they're like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And then I learned I <laughs> I like swim pretty terribly. So that was a no. And yeah, then, marine biologists don't have to swim. They just have to study well, biology. Right? Well, no one told me that to part. get into the ocean though. Like I, I, I see where you were going with that, Sarah. Yeah, I, was like, that, like, I, I tuned into shark week one week yeah. and I was like, damn, that's cool. And then I realized like, I can't do math and I can't swim. So no. Uh, and then I, I've always been like really into history. I've always been a big fantasy nerd and all of that. And I, I did that thing. A lot of confused teenagers do where they pick something sort of science and sort of humanities. I was a psych major. No offense to any psych majors out there, but like, it's not going to be your final choice. And I... I, Sharon, wait, Sharon, you're a psych major. (laughs) I am a psych major. I was a psych major. Past tense, it always was. It always was. Yeah, I, I like genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do seriously uh, when I was in high school and stuff. I knew it was going to be something humanities based. But it, like where I am right now as a creative director in video games, as a published author, an illustrator, like none of this was on the table. No, I had no example of this. Yeah, I thought well, I was going to be like a history teacher, maybe. 
Well, I, I guess that's the, the follow-up question is always mm -hmm. not just what did you want to be? What did your parents want you to be? My parents were actually pretty good about making it clear to us that like we could do whatever, so long as we could pitch it to them as like a viable career choice. So <laughs> my my dad has always been like, so it's less shark week and more shark tank, it sounds like. Yeah, so. yeah, very much. So my, my parents, we don't have that stereotypical like lawyer, doctor, engineer, whatever. Because mm -hmm. like both of my parents did not, like my, my dad couldn't finish college. He came here when he was like 19 years old and like worked two jobs while trying to push himself through school and was ultimately a college dropout. And my mother as well, like she had her bachelor's degree. And then she was actually the first person to like walk across a stage of our whole family. And she like worked through like a master's in education and all of that while having four kids. So like we saw her do that. And so it was very, very important for them that we graduated college, which was a harder conversation to have, but they didn't care necessarily like where we directed our efforts as long as like we could take care of ourselves because you have four kids. It's an immigrant family. And my dad's like, I can get you four years of schooling. I can't promise you anything after that. So you know, there's no, there's no net to catch you. So to go up to my dad and be like, I'm going to be an artist. He's like, present your case. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I lost that argument as a kid. I, yeah. I have to, with my architect father, mm -hmm. like I, I like tried and I failed. Like just yeah. it's like, all right, art computers. All right. Go do this computer engineering thing. Yeah. I want to hear the winning argument. So I, I go into school for psychology, which already they're like, mm, okay. <laughs> so you set a low bar. <laughs> I set a low, so here's the thing. My older brother is very accomplished, like is an engineer at Apple right now, does all that mm -hmm. stuff. He's also in the pay area with me. He dropped out of college in his last semester. He had one semester to go. And that was uh. like... Thanks. You really <laughs> took one for the team in like setting the bar. So I can't, I can't truly fuck this up. And so I applied to school to be a psychologist and immediately noticed within the first two weeks, nah, I'm good. I can't <laughs> listen to sob stories. I don't have it in me. And I, I came across a comic when I was 18 years old in my first semester of college, realizing, oh shit, this isn't for me. And it was Ms. Marvel Volume 1 by G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Alpona. And it was the number one selling Marvel yeah. comic at the time. So Arguably, I, was like, I think one of the most important comics of the last 20 years. Yeah. I agree too. And it was so fucking well received. And I was like, okay, well, I have to buy this book either way because it's that thing where you're like, I have to support them or else they'll never let us do another book <laughs> like this again. Take your amp away, right? <laughs> right? And I went in being like, I'm here to just see what this is about. I had zero expectations. And I... Wait, wait, hang on really quick. Before mm -hmm. this, yeah, yeah, yeah. before that moment, mm -hmm. other than the classics illustrated that you read, had you read other comics? Oh, yeah. Like... I grew up okay, a, okay. a giant weeb. Like, I was very into anime, video games. Okay, okay. Like, it's fascinating for me because looking back, duh, I was going to end up in the arts. I was <laughs> reading comics since, like, I could read. Okay. I was reading Batman, and I was reading manga. I was mm -hmm. just devouring it. And we had a really, really great library that I grew up next to, and I owe this librarian, like, my whole career, because he really ambitiously stalked that comic section. And any kid who went up to this librarian was like, oh, I want to read this next issue, he will go and order it for them. And so I had a really, really strong library that had a bunch of comics, exposed me to a lot of different genres and stuff. I was playing a lot of video games, watching a lot of anime, very, very nerdy kid. Uh, but he never clicked. And Kamala Khan shows up on the screen, 
number one selling Marvel comic. First time I've ever seen a Muslim creator like credited on a title. First time I've ever seen a Muslim American kid like as the main character that isn't just slipped into an X-Men comic, right? Like this is the main character. And first time I've read a story like that and it was damn good. It was so good. And you could tell every single person who touched this comic cared so much about getting it right. There was a specific panel in uh, Ms. Marvel Volume 1. I should probably find the issue one day. But where Kamala goes to her local mosque and she's asking her imam for like some silly advice. And Mm -hmm. the carpets in that mosque scene are accurate. I'm like, that is a local (laughs) mosque. That is a dingy local mosque. Oh my God. Who, who cared enough to put this detail and no one's going to notice this. I'm the only person who's going to notice this. And that made everything click in my head. Someone cared enough to put this detail somewhere. Someone noticed like knew that I was going to notice this and thought that that was worth the effort. And this is an era where it's like, we have the Iron Man movies where Tony Stark is selling, you know, weapons of mass destruction to, (laughs) to like Afghanis who speak Egyptian Arabic. It's a mess. Like I'm clearly not the intended demographic. And I kicked down my counselor's door that same week and I switched majors and I didn't tell my parents until like three weeks later, but I switched majors (laughs) And I put together my case for like why I thought this was the path forward because I knew Hang I was going to get you, Did you give your dad a copy of Miss Marvel Volume 1 as part of the, like, the pitch? No, I could not. <laughs> I wasn't at that stage yet. <laughs> he does have it. Now he has my copy of Ms. Marvel at mm-hmm. home, which is very exciting. We've come full circle. Yeah, that is my meandering route to art is I was a child of anime and manga and comics. It was, it touched every part of my life. And then I didn't understand that I could do it until I saw someone do it. The journey is still circuitous. Like you make Mm -hmm. that decision and spoiler alert, fast forward, published a graphic novelist, right? That's who you are today. Yeah. But you know, that didn't keep the lights on. Like the conversation we had when we first met was it's a journey and Mm -hmm. never mind like pitching a book, coming up, ideating a book, but like you have to pay to keep the lights on. You have to do other things. Yeah, yeah. You pivot your career into art. What was the journey that kept you in the space, I guess? So I immediately understood that I did not perhaps have the same safety net that some of my peers at art school had. So I had a very real conversation with my parents and they're like, listen, you got your four years to figure it out. Like- make them work because those loans are your loans afterwards. And so I had a real fire under my ass to make this a a job immediately. And so this is where like, I can go ahead and say like, I can fully credit my entire career to social media. And this is what makes me so excited to talk to emerging artists right now, because we are in an age where you can truly sidestep a lot of the traditional gatekeepers to creative industries by just simply showing people what you're capable of as an artist and putting it out there. And you can connect yourself directly with an audience who is so excited to see what you have. And so I, within my first year of college, like I started posting my work online. I started really following and paying attention to who was doing the work that I was most interested in. And then following that up with like the question of like, okay, but what do I bring to the table? What perspective do I have that feels fundamentally different that isn't being addressed? And and how can I combine it with the things that I already love? And honestly, like that ended up culminating to the works that I am most known for. So for example, 
in my like third year of college or something, I was just scrolling through Twitter as you do. And I came across this really like ridiculous illustration of an X-Men character named Dust. For those of you who have yeah. social lives, Dust is like a C-tier X-Men. She is but like, she was like the first Muslim superhero. She was. She was yeah. the first Muslim superhero in a title like that. She is the most boring design on the mm-hmm. X-Men team. It is just like a She's lady. literally a burqa and has yeah. sand powers. Like sand, sand powers. powers. Sand powers. And, and all I could think about, I'm like, this is the most dull character design I've ever seen. Like all the, the sand powers and the writing aside, like truly, I'm like, all I want to do is prove to people that with a little bit extra effort, and it goes back to that thing that got me, right, is realizing that I can put in this little extra bit of effort and someone out there is going to notice and recognize it. And that feeling, the giving someone that feeling of being recognized is more important to me than anything else. Because I, I know how powerful it is. I know what it did for me. Like it set me on my trajectory to see Kamala Khan, to see that the, the carpets in her mosque were correct, right? And I was like, you know what? I could sit here and rant about it on Twitter and do that. But also... I'm an artist too. Like if I I want something done right, I can just do it myself. Mm -hmm. And so I just did a 40 minute sketch. It wasn't any time at all. I put it down. And when I woke up the next morning, I was getting emails from the BBC and the like the tweet had gone viral and I was getting like phone calls from people who wanted to talk about it. And I'm like, I, this is the least amount of effort I've ever spent on a drawing, but no one had ever seen an actual Muslim's take on this. No one was able to see like this an option we have for a character design. And it was very interesting to see how many people projected a very different narrative on the work that I did. For and me, what- it was like a critique of a character design and the way that media spun it as is like, SJW is frustrated with the sexualization of a character. I'm like, it's not that deep, <laughs> but it was at the same time. What was the drawing? The drawing was, it was just like, an alternative character design on dust. That was it. Mm. It was like four quick sketches of her in different outfits. And that was it. And I had no idea the impact that it would have on people. Like to this day, when I go to comic cons and stuff and I've published and made so many things since then, I will still have people coming up to me and be like, I love that dust art. I like, I want to see that in a comic next. And, and that's actually like, I got the attention of Marvel and DC. Like I got hit up by them that same week and, and it eventually like led to me working more officially with them. But it, it's interesting that the trajectory for a lot of minority creators is if you want something done right, do it yourself. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it, it is a very empowering moment that I can just post something like that and, and demand the attention of readers and gatekeepers alike. I think that's so fabulous. I want to, is that available online? Like, could we link yeah, to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So if you notes? just search up my name, like Sarah Alpha G and Dust, it shows up like within the first, yeah, it's the first hit. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Or even my, I think just my name, it's still the first hit. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because either around that moment or after that moment, then mm-hmm. you've got the day job, but you start picking up all sorts of just interesting credits, right? You yeah. get to work with Google on a Google Doodle. That's yeah. like a dream of mine, right? Like you made a free comic book day comic for yeah. for Avatar The Last Airbender. That like, was a dream come mo- true, yeah. Oh, Uncle Iroh, man. Like I learned to draw because of Avatar The Last Airbender, like full credit to them. When I was 17 and Legend of Korra came out, like I learned how to draw because I was seeing other teenagers do it and posting it online, yeah. 
So, so I mean, just uh, a couple of things here. First, mm-hmm. you're awesome. Second, you're making me feel really old. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm into all of these things. I'm sorry. But, but, no, but, but like the life stage in which you were engaged. No, because like Avatar The Last Airbender was life-changing for me. Yeah. Like, I discovered I it in agree. my... I discovered it at the age you are now, right? Like Mm. in my mid twenties, even though it was a kid's cartoon, but like these things, like it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're into the culture of these sort of creations and these mediums, Mm. when, when shit hits, when shit drops that you're just like, Oh my God, this, uh, no pun intended, the sand just shifted. The ground just shifted Mm. when Avatar, the last airbender came out like this, this Eastern Buddhist inspired, really damn good, like young adult, tale right it's this like, moment of like this is an option we can have this we've been missing out this whole yeah, I mean, time yeah i mean everyone talks about like the black panther moment but i mean yeah. the, the kamala khan avatar the last airbender miles morales they're very like, similar in that respect yeah but it's these seminal moments that were mm-hmm. happening in the culture but like just beneath the radar in our weird thing of comics and video games right when these things are happening i think back to an interview i saw with the black panther director where he was saying the first time he felt like he saw himself on the screen he felt like he saw a black superhero was watching the malcolm x film by spike lee like in his father's lap at a movie theater and i often think of like how we often have to stretch our imagination quite a bit to be able to recognize ourselves in the media that we are seeing right like the books the movies the shows to feel like there is room for us there is space for us even if we have to like chip at it ourselves have there been moments where i mean in this career as you're coming up mm-hmm. you very much are who you want to be you're very actualized about what change you want to see in the world in your work and in, in the industries that that we live in but have there been moments where you've had to change yourself to fit in to adapt change myself interesting change myself and i ask that as like uh, as a woman as an arab as a muslim as someone who wears hijab like Uh to enter these spaces or or do you you just like walk straight through it (laughs) i mean i'm a rather i'm a loud mouth i'm a very extroverted (laughs) person i never would have guessed that sarah i've only gotten louder with the years I've never felt like I was consciously, I would say this, one of the fundamental changes that occurred with me as I was like an emerging artist and I'm putting myself online and I'm realizing that I I had to, to realize that the barrier between me and my favorite creators, the people who were doing the work that I aspired to do as well, the people who are setting the bar for me, there was actually very little room between myself and them. And once I allowed myself the the space to imagine how I could be alongside them as a peer, as a fellow creator, and not just in this power dynamic of like audience and creator, fan and creator. Once I realized that like I had every right to take up space, mm-hmm. that unlocked everything. I, I'm no longer fangirling because my favorite author liked a tweet of mine. I'm no longer like apologizing when I'm putting my work up and being like, oh, I made this mistake and this mistake and I can do this better. We can always improve on our work. We can always do better with our art, but no longer like feeling like I have to, what's the thing I'm trying to say? I'm not going to make excuses for how much space I take up. I am excited to be here and I am having a great fucking time. And if you want to join me, you're welcome. And if you don't, Godspeed to you. I'm still going to be here. Like I am very much the main character of this story, whether you like it or not, is essentially my attitude towards it. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you had to, where you felt like you had to change yourself to fit in or adapt or be someone else? Be someone else. I mean, I'm a cosplayer, but I don't think that. Right. I, I don't think so. I, I've never felt that urge Interesting. to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like Young people, Sharon. Young people. I know. It's so funny. Like, (laughs) it is really interesting. I think it's generational, right? But this gives me hope. And I don't mean to be like the old guy saying, because like, I, I, but it just, I think every generation pushes it further based on. I just want to be clear, like, there was bullying when I was a kid. We haven't gone past bullying, right? But it's <laughs> right. like, I, I remember moments like where I was in uh, a study period and watching like an episode of Dragon Ball Z on a computer and a, a girl trying to make fun of me for it. And I was like, it's actually a really good fight scene. Like you can sit down and watch, like it's chill. <laughs> you know, I was oh, a no, very is child. <laughs> no, but that's what, I mean, it's like the Ryan Coogler thing of like, mm-hmm. he had to see that representation of yeah. super heroics with black people in a, a civil rights Malcolm X film mm-hmm. you got to see kamala khan yeah. the nerd and, and never mind the the muslim woman hijab thing but mm-hmm. like even nerd culture is more accepted like i Absolutely. had to hide my x-men comics when mm. i was a kid like i couldn't that wasn't a it's but now because of the mcu and the fox movies and all these things like and this is great like i love i have that to my give daughter credit yeah. to my parents for allowing me to go to like anime conventions and and fr- <laughs> it's extremely hard to go to your immigrant parents and be like I need $50 to go dress up like a weirdo in the middle of the city where the you mentioned are- cosplay they come on what, what, understand what, are, what are your go-tos <laughs> I, it was like so I would go to anime Boston I've been attending that convention for oh God, since I was 12 years old, like well over a decade now. It was, yeah, about like 12 straight years. I've not missed a convention. I Every year I would like go dressed up as Sailor Moon and Captain America. And I was <laughs> yeah. so, it, these costumes are always so well received by people because it, I didn't, I always incorporated my hijab into it. I uh, never, Yeah, there's a Captain America. I'm Googling now. There's a Captain yeah, America. Yeah, with yeah you can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I always tried to to make sure that the characters actually were adapted to me rather than the other way around. I wasn't shape shifting into them, but rather tweaking the designs to fit like myself, my values, my culture, my sense of, of how I hold myself. I wasn't going to fit into their box, but rather like I love the creative challenge of it. How can I make this still recognizable while also making it clear like I'm still a Muslim woman? That was very gratifying to me to like put in that work and create something that would honestly bring joy to people. They would always get so excited to see another take on their favorite character. But I would have to say like attending anime conventions really instilled a confidence in me that like having things I loved like that was always worth whatever pushback you got because I just have the memories of meeting new people, sharing that joy with them, being excited over fan art, being excited over new interpretations of the same piece of media that we love. That's joyous. That's the best feeling in the world. You can't say shit to me after that. (laughs) That's so great. Well, look, so you have a book that has come out. And if I read like the dust jacket bio of you, Mm -hmm. you are a major history nerd who just really wants to draw girls with swords. So Squire, like it's, I got to hear about the journey of this because this is why I reached out initially, right? Like I'm doing my own research, graphic novel, historical fiction, blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. we just had this like really interesting conversation about your journey to make this thing. And it's, you know, literally 
it's inspired by the things that you've seen in the world that you've traveled. How did you, yeah, yeah. why did you choose to merge history and fantasy and create a new world versus create a story in an existing world? What What is it? Why should people check it out? Yeah. Squire is honestly my love letter to a genre that I really, really love, which is classic fantasy. I love the knights in armor. I love the quests. I love the hero's journey. I just am obsessed with all of that. And it's very much part of like my vocabulary as a reader. But also like I wanted to bring a fresh perspective to this that I felt like only I could bring as an author and as a creator. I wanted to place this world, I wanted to place this story in a world that I recognized with names and people and a culture that was familiar to me. And I know that is a very going to be a very different and hopefully a refreshing perspective for other people, seeing their favorite tropes and returning to that while also getting to explore something just so different from what they're used to. I am not changing fantasy because I'm critiquing it. I'm changing it because I love it so much. And it's time for something different. Squire is about a young girl who has a foot on either side of a border and realizes that becoming a knight is her best chance at bettering her life and and gaining full citizenship in this empire that is going through some really difficult times. There's famine, there's strife, there's clashes over borders. It's, It's a familiar story, both historically and to our modern time. And she realizes that perhaps the greater good that the that she's working towards with the army and with the knights, the greater good might not include her. And what do you do then? What responsibility do you have as an individual recognizing that the system around you is, is meant to exclude? And, and this is a story that's extremely personal to me and my co-creator, Nadia Shamas, as we are both kids on the cusp of Gen Z and millennials, kids who like our first formative memories included 9-11 and being told as Arab Americans, uh, you are guilty until proven innocent. That is a, a story intensely familiar to us. It is an immigrant tale at the end of the day. And I use the visual vocabulary that anime and manga gave me because that's truly like what made me an artist. And I'm using settings that I, I went to Jordan and I went to Turkey and I took the reference photos myself. There's imagery from the the village that like my dad grew up in. There's imagery from Turkey. There is a lot of historical references to Ottoman Empire and North African architecture. It's just a book First for myself, I want to say, I very, very blatantly like admit that this is the most self-indulgent work I've ever made. And I'm really excited to share it with everyone. Yeah. I mean, there's there's this one thing when I was flipping through some of the materials you had shared yeah. and it's a map of the world. And I got like Avatar The Last Airbender, like goosebumps, like yeah. you're, there's nations. It, it's this pre-industrial society. And it's interesting to hear you mention 9-11 when, when Sharon and I were chatting about this. You know, we tend uh, we tend to bias towards people who are closer to our age, late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. And so 9-11 as a seminal moment, no matter who you are, was it was this impactful thing when we were in our 20s. But to have you just rooted in that and for that ethos that you grew up with as a kid to be permeating your character's world in this, it's yeah, it's, it's a very bold take, I guess. And Yeah. And, and I would have to say I was extremely resistant extremely resistant to do such a personal story like that. Because as a creator, when people see me and when we're talking about visual communication, nothing communicates faster visually than a hijab, right? When people see me, 
they already have narratives that they will associate with me. And when I was in art school and I was developing my own portfolio and deciding what stories I wanted to tell, I very much resisted telling any story that had to do with my culture, my identity. I was Don't like, Don't be no. the quote unquote Muslim creator, right? Yeah, I... I, I absolutely resisted that. I was like, I refuse to be a Muslim artist. I'm an artist who happens to be Muslim. And I am Muslim after a a thousand other things that is interesting to me as well. And I'm not saying that I want to bury that part of my identity. And and I also have to clarify, um, Squire is not a Muslim book. Squire is very much about that Arab American experience. My co-creator is a Palestinian Christian. I'm Mm -hmm. Jordanian and and Muslim. We focus on that commonality. It's more culturally informed. Yeah, it's it's not a faith-based book. But going back to to the topic, I very much resisted adding my faith or my identity into any of my work. I was very insistent. I was like, I'm going to prove I can draw so well, and no one's ever going to doubt what I can bring to the table, and I'm going to draw what I'm particular interested in, which is girls of swords and blending modern with fantastical and all of this stuff. And one of my mentors in my last year of college, she was like, why, what, what are you holding back? She asked me very frankly, like, I see you playing around with these sketches and stuff, but you never choose them to bring to final. Like you clearly put a lot of research and time into some of these sketches you bring to the class, but you always end up picking something more sanitized. Right. And she's like, I'm going to, ask you just a request for this next assignment, like pick something that actually reflects your background, see how you feel. And it's up to you to decide if you want to keep going. And she allowed me the space to like, to attempt something different. And and so I'll send over the artwork, but I had made this playing card set with Bedouin people at, at the forefront. And each of the face cards had a different like Berber or Bedouin man or woman like represented there with henna and the face tattoos and the whole cultural dress. And, and that actually ended up getting me my first video game job. I ended up working with Harmonix, the creator of Rock Band to do something similar. But that was, I like, I needed someone I needed a mentor to like give me the space to explore it. I needed to get the validation, the confidence that people do actually want to see this stuff. And it was only then in my last year of art school where I was like, okay, I I trust myself to take a step forward and, and develop this and do a much more personal story. It's a very vulnerable position to be in, to present a story that is based on yourself and based on your background because anytime you put something out into the world, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the audience. It belongs to the readers. I have very little control over how people perceive my work once it's it's out there. And that's scary as a creator. That's very scary. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm very I'm very pleased with Squire. And I, I think it's the best thing I've I've done yet. What have your parents said about the book? Oh, my parents love it. <laughs> my parents have not given a shit about any of the the it's very hard to go up to my parents and be like I did an avatar the last airbender comic and they're like right very right good. nice good job why and, didn't you do two yeah and then I go up to them it's and, free you gave but, it away for free yeah and, and it's like I I did a star wars book like right out of college and that was a very major thing and there my mom is like Star Wars, the movie, right? And I was like, well, no, it's based on the movie, but it's the book. They're like, the movie. And I was like, no, don't tell your friends I worked on Star Wars, the movies, please. It's it's not <laughs> translatable. The Google thing was cool for them, but Squire was the first time they actually read something I did cover to cover. Mm. 
like in a single night. Wow. That that was unbelievable to me. They have never done that. Like I I hand my dad a, a copy of something I published or something I worked on. He looks and he's like, "Good job," and puts it on his coffee table. <laughs> like <laughs> they they're very very proud of my work, but I honestly think it was like the first time they've ever seen their culture in media, like besides in an Indiana Jones film, you know? Well, and it's, this is, I, I guarantee, I guarantee your dad is looking at it very proudly. Oh yeah. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, well, I'm talking about the comic books, not the other IP stuff. But I think what does make this special is this is your own creation. This is your own, I hate the term IP, but this is your, this is my book. This is, I'm not working on someone else's story. And they were with me. Like, I, I want to be clear, like, there's a lot of stereotypes of like, oh, you went into the arts. How did you convince your parents to do that? They were very much on board mm-hmm. from uh, the moment where I was like committed to this. They have been in my corner the whole time. So That's for cool. me, it was really, really cool to be able to bring this to them and be like, hey, remember when I asked you to pull over to the side of the road in Jordan 15 times in a single day <laughs> so I can take a reference photo? Like they did that for me. So it's like they have been in my corner from day one. I'm like getting emotional now. Wow. Yeah, it means a lot to me that I could actually finish this book and mm-hmm. and show them it's like their hard work paid off. You Every single proud. summer in Jordan like paid off. Yeah. Every single like getting the the mini lectures of like wow I am getting emotional holy shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah this is it is a love letter to everything that that made me who I am today yeah and that includes not just anime and video games and manga and all that stuff and my love of history but it is those formative moments where you are driving through your parents hometown and you have this language that can some days feel a little foreign in your mouth. It's Mm -hmm. having that foot on both sides. It's being Sarah and Sada, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Sarah, it's always a special moment when we can bring our guests to tears. So thank you for being so vulnerable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I And it's interesting. Like I have done so much like marketing bullshit for Esquire. And they're like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite color? And I'm just like, can I talk about the book? It's interesting. Like it's the first time that this effort that I've put forward, this very, very personal story that I've poured into Esquire is starting to feel real, to be honest. I... I'm starting to get like readers reach out to me who aren't related to me or paid to read my book. <laughs> and that's wild. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. You've that's even been you on know. podcast to yeah, talk about the book. Yeah. You. That's when it's real. Mm-hmm. So if we were to turn back the clock and go all the way back to Boston mm-hmm. when you're a little girl, what is some advice you would give to yourself? Ooh, advice. Hmm. Don't carry heavy books to Jordan. Right. No, do that. That's that worked. Yeah, yeah. Take more of those. Take more of those. I don't know. I'm quite content with where I ended up. I'm like, do I want to change anything? I would probably say like, hmm, that's a good question. What advice? I don't, I don't know if my advice would be anything but like, hey, this actually becomes your job. Like, it's pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. Oh, but then you'd wreck the space-time <laughs> continuum because yeah, young like, Sarah wouldn't work that, as hard. I'm like going right. into the sci-fi logic of it. I'm like, I can't touch anything. I'll yeah. ruin the trajectory. Parallel universes <laughs> yeah. and stuff, I've right? I've seen 10,000 timelines and every single one of them, you're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think I, I would just say like, keep it up. Keep it going. 
That's good. It's going to work I mean, out. You, you, yeah, you turned out okay. So Yeah, I think I, I turned so out far. okay. So, so far. So far. <laughs> I mean, I'm like getting, I have like no capacity for feelings. So it's like, I get emotional, be like, my parents are proud of me. <laughs> well, Sarah, we've covered a lot of territory and had a lot of fun on the way. But mm. I don't know, Sharon, you think she's ready for speed round? I think she's ready for speed All round. All right, let's go. Oh, man, look at that. This is... Rookie move. You can't be ready for speed round. No one's ready for speed round. <laughs> I didn't say I was ready. I said, let's go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sarah, what is something about you that people don't expect? I don't think people expect me to be as loud as I am. I don't think people expect me <laughs> to be this. <laughs> Listeners of this podcast were like, uh. <laughs> oh, maybe after this podcast, what people don't expect of me? Mm, I. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I guess I wasn't ready for speed round. Something that people don't expect of me is that probably never gonna draw another comic again because that shit is hard. <laughs> you know, we talked about. We actually you talked mean about that. that. Like, Do you really mean that? You don't mean that. <laughs> comics you are need- a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you need a sabbatical. I do know sabbatical. what I would tell my younger self, and it's don't make your first book. 300 pages fully colored mm. with like seven main characters. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that, that's like something advice. simpler. Come on. There's Spoken so many stories like, out there. <laughs> Spoken for wisdom. Yeah, from a place uh, of wisdom. <laughs> or like if you do it, like do some push ups. God. Oh, I would tell myself to work out. Oh, man. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. What's a book, movie, graphic novel, television mm-hmm. show with characters that you relate to? Ooh, that I relate to. I love mm-hmm. the expanse. All oh, I can, the expanse is so much fun. I mean, hang on, the book or the TV show? I, I want to say the TV show. I'm sure I'd love the book too, but I haven't okay. got around to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I love the expanse. It is the number one show where it's like, I think me and my friends, we don't tune into it because we love the show in particular, but it's because it sparks so many fascinating conversations for us. Like, what would you do if you were on Mars? What would you do if you were like the first colony in space and all that? And I I love that shit. I mean, I got to say, so a friend and a mentor who I did not know was into sci-fi turned me on to The Expanse books before it got greenlit as a show. And I haven't fully caught up on the show. The show's over now, but the last book just came out, like the end of the series. And there is somewhere online as a nerd friend, like go figure out where you can pick up the books and continue the story. Because from what I understand where they ended the show, I'm like, but you missed all this other stuff. (laughs) And I believe it. I can like see between the lines and the dialogue. They definitely imply so much more than they have room to really explore. I will definitely pick up the books. Yeah. So what is your favorite mom dish Ooh, i love me a good fatira fatira is like a mini calzone situation so i don't know how to make them myself i'm a, a what's pretty, in it what's in it fatira can have anything you want i specifically love uh, a good spinach sumac and onion fatira that is that is my favorite it's like a good like a lot of fun memories, like having those like in a backpack uh, for school. Like it's a perfect like lunchtime, quick, quick meal. That's amazing. What is your least favorite food? Olives and cheese. I'm a terrible Arab. Oh. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> I hate cheese. All olives and all cheese, huh? I, olives taste like metal in my mouth and all cheese are bad. Wow. Full stop. Fighting words. Fighting, Fighting words. Argument. How do you feel about pizza? <laughs> terrible. Really? So anything with cheese on it too? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. American pizza in particular is bad. I can tolerate like an actual like Italian pizza. Mm-hmm. All American pizza is bad. Yeah. Wow. 
Fighting mm. words, Sarah. I don't think Roman's going to be your friend anymore. Yeah, that's like, I, I that's literally a deal just un, for I just unpreordered Squire. <laughs> it's okay. Sacrifices have to be made. <laughs> the cause. <laughs> She's living her truth. Yeah, yeah. And pizza's Sarah. not a meal. It's not a dish. It's, it's a nothing. <laughs> You're like doubling down. Oh yeah. God. If you tell me, like, oh, come over, we're having pizza. And I'm like, so when do we have real food? That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> But believe it or not, you are not the first person to hate on cheese on this podcast. So you're in, you're in good company with those other um, people that are wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's okay. Uh, they always is... shun the prophets. They always shun <laughs> the, <laughs> the people with the truth. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Um, who is someone out there, Sarah, that you would want to talk to on a podcast? like to hang out with honestly like one of my friends like someone who I could probably call on the phone but I want to have them on like a podcast I want to chill with uh G Willow Wilson I feel like we don't get a lot of chances to just talk about like our commonalities like I owe her so much and she's like a good mentor and friend now yeah I want to chill with her you know she, she's on my podcast wish list for this pod so hell yeah uh, yeah definitely yeah. reach out to Willow she's fabulous last question mm-hmm. what does being a modern minority mean to you I'm going to give a non-answer because I'm a cheater. Um, I'd like it to have a fluid definition. I would like it to mean whatever we need it to mean in the moment. That's the whole point, right? Is like we have as many stories as possible so we don't feel like we need to conform or I guess like specifically react to a stereotype, right? Like I, I also hate feeling like I need to do something opposite so that I go against a stereotype. Like I don't, I don't care. I want to just be, that would be nice. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, since the moment I discovered your work, I mm-hmm. was a fan. And then when I met you, I was an even bigger fan. And so it just means a lot that there's someone like you making the kinds of things you're doing in the way that you're doing them. And I know you're exhausted. Uh, this new book, Squire, is it just looks amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on it and let other people yeah, see it as well. You. But I, I hope to see a lot more work from you. Thank you so much. And I hope we can continue the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's a, I forgive you for liking pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.